And she's like, you know, diabetes isn't as a high risk pregnancy as people think, or as it used to be. It's not like Julia Roberts and Steel Magnolias. And I was like, why? What happened to Julia Roberts and Steel Magnolias? And she's like, you haven't seen it? And I said, no. And she's like, good, then don't. Oh, hi. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Walt Drennan, and you're listening to Ask Me About My Type 1, the Q&A podcast all about type 1 diabetes. Hello again, type 1s and nuns. It is the last day of National Diabetes Awareness Month, and do I have an episode for you. This week is about diabetes and its portrayal in TV and film, and spoiler alert, it's not good. Because despite records of diabetes dating back literally thousands of years to ancient Egypt, humanity still can't seem to put together a 30-minute TV show that accurately portrays it. I mean, yes, diabetes is still very much a mystery in a lot of ways, and we've had a lot of very smart people trying to figure it out over the years, so clearly it's a tough one. But I refuse to believe that in 2020, we still don't know enough to get over the old logical fallacy of sugar equals diabetes. And yet, here we are, at a time where there are probably more memes and TikTok videos about how the newest frappe from Starbucks is going to give you diabetes than there are scholarly articles about what actually causes all the different types of diabetes that we currently are aware of. Personally, I think TV and film could be doing so much more to set all the meme lords and TikTokers of the world straight and to help prove my entirely subjective opinion I have on Kelsey and Lucy. Kelsey, who currently lives in LA and works as a writer and actress, is our Type 1 guest this week and was inspired to write a comedy feature film script based on her life with Type 1. Lucy is sitting shotgun in the Type Nun seat this week and just so happens to be another blast from the Ask Me About My Type 1 Season 1 past when she came on with her Type 1 sister, Maggie. This time, Lucy joins us as a writer and comedian who is currently in the process of developing a TV series where she hopes to play a character living with Type 1 based on her experiences with the Type 1s in her life. Kelsey and Lucy also have some thoughts on recent portrayals of diabetes in TV and film, and coincidentally enough, they totally agree with me. Now, with all that being said, here's the episode. Thank you both for being here. Lucy, welcome back to the show. Kelsey, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, how, how are you two doing? Well, thank you for having us. I'm doing really well. As I said before, I took the risky move of traveling to Florida just for a, a little while, and then I'll be back to LA, where I currently reside and work as an actor and a writer. Dope. Kelsey, how you doing? I'm good. No, thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, pretty good. I'm, I'm in LA right now. I've been doing a lot of traveling too, just rotating different family homes, trying to stay safe in COVID. But I'm in LA, where I work as a writer-actor. And so for people that have been listening to the show for a while, Lucy was on back in season one. That was like almost two years ago now with her sister, Maggie, who has type one. So Lucy is our type none again, but then Kelsey is our type one. And I really wanted to talk to you both because you both happen to be actresses and writers in LA. You both have web series and you both trying to use your art to educate people in regards to type one specifically. Lucy as a sibling of a type one and then Kelsey as someone who lives with type one. So thank you both for coming on. Let's get into introductions. So Kelsey, since you're a type one guest, you go first because that's how numbers work. 
<laughs> tell us all about yourself, what you're doing. You said you're an actress and writer. Tell us a little bit more about your diagnosis. Like how long ago was that? And how do you incorporate it into your work? Yeah, so it's it all started. I've been, uh, I was diagnosed about 11 years ago. It was the summer before my senior year of high school. I had just gotten my wisdom teeth taken out. And I had an infection that just wouldn't go away. And the doctor kept putting me on more and more antibiotics, trying to figure out why it wasn't going away. And then at the same time, I started getting all of the symptoms. Uh, I was really thirsty and drinking, you know, a crazy amount of water and having to pee all the time. And then I was also losing weight and I was feeling very tired and I knew something was wrong. And this was right around the time, you know, the first iPhone came out and stuff. So I started Googling, you know, my symptoms in the middle of the night, I remember. And I woke up the next day and I went to my parents and I was like, I think I have diabetes. And they're like, what? <laughs> like that came out of nowhere, you know, because no one in our family has it. And, you know, at the time I, we weren't educated on type one diabetes. So we're like, well, you're not, you know, they're like, we're, you're slim. Like, why would you have diabetes? But they agreed something was wrong. And so I went to my family doctor, they did blood work and it was kind of crazy. I never have had a, a doctor's appointment like that where the doctor called the same day and said, he told my parents her blood sugar and it was fasting was in the 400s. She's a type one diabetic. She needs to go to the hospital right away. So they took me to the hospital. I was at UC Davis at the time. I, I grew up in Northern California. And I basically got the crash course on type 1 diabetes, how to give myself shots, all that stuff, counting carbs. And then uh, at the time, you know, I chose to do injections. Actually, until two years ago, I was doing injections and you know, part of my story with type 1 diabetes is I was very, I think because I grew up with it for so long without being a type 1, I was 17 at the time and about to go to college and kind of really start my dating life and my career. I was very, not that I hid it, but I wasn't public about it. You know, I didn't want to show it off. And that's something that has been part of my journey because I wasn't comfortable with the pump at first. It took me a, a, a while to, you know, be comfortable having something on my body that people would see. And, uh, you know, the last two years, oh, and then also, so after I graduated school, I created this web series called Mondays that's based on my life and kind of funny, awkward experiences I've gone through and created little sketches of. And, you know, I chose at the time I was debating whether or not to make my character a type one, you know, or whether, you know, to have scenes that revolve around it. And I kind of chose at the time because I wasn't really public about it. You know, it'd be nice to forget about diabetes, at least for this three minute skit and not have to think about it. And then I realized after those came out that diabetes is such a huge part of my life and my story. And around the same time I was doing that is when I, I got the pump. And I've written over the last uh, year, I've wrote a comedy feature based on the web series, but making type one diabetes part of her story and her arc in the film. And uh, I'm really excited about it. It's kind of on hold right now because of COVID because we're waiting until it's safe 
for us to film, especially having, you know, someone like me who's a type one diabetic on set. And then I want other type one diabetics to be involved in it. But I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I, I actually I think I heard the first podcast you did about your type one specifically and how you kind of incorporated it into your work or didn't incorporate it into your work. And got really excited about your idea for a movie about it and your your drive to make something like that happen. So I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully COVID goes away sometime soon so you can actually do it. But before <laughs> that, let's hear from Lucy. Again, Lucy was on a long time ago, but introduce yourself again, Lucy. And then also tell us your experience with type 1. Because again, you don't have it, but you were there when your sister was diagnosed. So you can kind of go into that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Hi, my name is Lucy Blihar. I am the middle child of three. My older sister, Maggie, has type 1. And I have a younger brother, Sam, who I live with in LA. And he's a music producer. So we get up to some funny stuff. He should be a, a comedy writer too, but he's got other things to focus on. Yeah, so I, I guess my experience with type 1 was when my sister was in eighth grade. So I was in sixth grade and my mom's best friend and her daughters were visiting us in Pittsburgh. And her oldest daughter, Sarah, who was my age, had type one and she had been diagnosed since she was eight. And Maggie was having some, you know, all the same symptoms. I remember we went to the museum of rock and roll or what's it called in Cleveland? The rock and roll hall of fame. Rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and my sister bought herself a huge cup as a souvenir because she was always thirsty. And she was like, I'm just going to get a big cup because I'm always thirsty. And then I remember really specifically one day she went on like a run with my mom and she came home and was like so weak and really pale and like felt like she was going to pass out. And she had to like lay down and drink like a ton of Gatorade and she was having stomach aches. And then so when my mom's friend came to visit and her daughter was there my mom was telling her about Maggie's symptoms and the mom Laura was like I think we should test her blood sugar so we were really lucky because we were literally had a, a girl with type 1 in our house who had a test kit they pricked Maggie's finger and she was like 380 or something and so she went to the hospital she was diagnosed and I, I remember feeling really scared obviously because I didn't know anything about it and it felt very serious and it was very serious. And, and then she went into the same crash course that Kelsey was describing. I remember it was like school, like she was at the hospital all the time. She was learning how to measure her doses and use all the, I like humalog, I, I just all the words. I'm like, I remember hearing them for the first time and being like, oh my God, what does this mean? So that was how I remember her diagnosis was having this this family of friends stay with us with a daughter with type one. And I remember thinking even at that age, like how lucky are we to have literally someone in our house who was like, this is what it is. This is what it's like. Here's how we can help you. Cause she had had it since she was eight. And I think my sister must've been like, how old are you in eighth grade? Like 13, 14. I was 13. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was her diagnosis story. And then she got on the pump she did syringes for a while and then she got on the pump, I think a couple years into her diagnosis. And now I, I believe she's back on syringes. I think she also tried the CGM, but she's always kind of switching up her methods because she'll just go through seasons of what feels better for her. And then as a, 
as a sibling of someone with type one, I have become just very aware of it. And I feel like a big advocate in a certain way, because I know that there are a ton of misconceptions about diabetes. When people hear diabetes, they automatically think like, you know, obesity or unhealthy or that person, you know, they make all these assumptions. And it's made me more aware of other diseases that I don't know about that I'm like, oh, what am I making assumptions about that, you know, people live with that it, it's not exactly what the the masses think it it means. And then when you get into what I do for work, like writing and creating, I've recently been working on, so it's no longer a web series. It's we're writing it into a pilot for like a 30 minute episodic. And well, the pilot's written, but when we were developing it, I was saying to my writing partners and my manager, I was like, I want my character to have type one. My sister has type one. I think it's important to get it into like mainstream media, especially, I'm sure we'll get to this, but especially given the political climate, I think people need to know about it. And a good friend of mine too, uh, whose name is Julian, he's a director and editor and he has type one and he has a whole saga about how he needs to get his insulin from his sister, whose husband gets free health insurance from the army and she ships it to him illegally. And it's just like, it's become such an issue across the country. And so I kind of thought, you know, what's, how can I play a part in this and what power can I use to help this, uh, to solve this problem? And so I just thought writing it into my show was the best way. So we'll see. The show has yet to be made and yet to be sold, but I am really gunning for the character that that is based off of me to have type one just so I can make it present and also make it more of a, less of a character trait and just something that someone lives with. You know, it's not about her having type one, but it's just to show like, this is something people live with and they they do everything else normally all the time. And it's it's livable, but I want it to be more, I want people to know about it. Yeah. Like kind of like how you said diabetes has a, is a very heavy word, I think, especially in Western society. I, I particularly say America, but I think it's just a Western concept yeah. of it. It just means a lot of different things to different people. And a vast majority of it is just misconceptions and just misinformation. Like you said, mm-hmm. it's like, it's kind of associated with being unhealthy and just not taking care of yourself or like, it's something that you did to yourself. So that's why you have this kind of like how you said in our current political climate, the, the Twitterverse has been laser focused on type, not type one specifically, but diabetes in general. And there was, there's this one con like a comment that somebody said is like, Basically, the the whole discussion around it now this summer, at least, has been around insulin affordability. Mm-hmm. And that's just like a huge, huge topic within the type 1 community. But when you look at it from the outside, it's kind of confusing because like everybody's understanding of diabetes is, oh, it's self-inflicted. Like, why do we, why should we care if you did this to yourself? Why should I care if your medication is so outrageously expensive that you can't afford it because you did this to yourself? Of course, that's not the case. And diabetes is like an umbrella term, I like to call it. There's lots of different forms of diabetes. Not everything is insulin. Not everyone's insulin dependent. More people are insulin dependent than people realize. And insulin is just like a very um, fraught kind of drug, uh, especially, you know, in the American healthcare system. So I've always thought that pop culture and like mass media would be the best ways to like just kind of flat out educate people on these things because that's what people watch. Like you're not necessarily going to read a pamphlet that you get at the doctors about diabetes or like the warning signs of having diabetes, but you will watch a 30 minute episodic 
that's funny mm-hmm. and like gives you a little bit of sugar with your medicine kind of thing, ironically, in this case. <laughs> and that's really why I brought you both together because I'm really excited about that. It's something that I would really be interested in helping with because I think nowadays film and television are trying to be more accurate about medical conditions, not just necessarily type one, but just all medical conditions because it is, it lends authenticity to like the work, but also it helps educate people on these specific kinds of conditions and the ways that they can either avoid getting them or like help people that do have them already. So really excited. Thank you both for coming here. Um, for my first question for you is what aspects of type one are the most important for you to like share with people? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a big question. I mean, I think there's, okay, I'm going to go through, there's, there's quite a few things, but uh, you know, one are the misconceptions and stereotypes because, you know, like we spoke about when people hear the word diabetes, they mainly think of type two because most people who have diabetes do have type two. And I think for the most part, that is what is portrayed in the media. You know, even just with commercials, you always see commercials for type two. And then in films and TV, when there is type one, it's normally not in an accurate way. Like they always get the facts wrong. And it really frustrates me because it could like all be you know, I get really frustrated at the TV because it's like you could do a five minute Google search and, you know, get it accurate. But yeah, so I definitely would want to clear up the misconceptions and stereotypes. You know, I, I think it's really important. One of the hardest parts with type one is the kind of internal struggle. You know, it's a disease that really affects your mental health, not just, you know, it's not people think it's all about food and just taking shots for food. And it's not, you're taking, you're adjusting your doses to stress, to hormones, to, I mean, there's so many factors, Uh, you know, there's some exercise, but basically everything you do affects it. Every, you know, an interaction can affect it. And then, you know, what that does to you mentally, because you're kind of always feeling, or at least I am, you know, I have a CGM, which I'm, I love and I'm thankful for, but you get kind of bombarded with alerts because there are so many factors, you're constantly adjusting your blood sugars, and there may not be a clear answer for why it's high or why it went low. And, you know, even the anxieties of living with it, I would want to show in a a movie or a TV show, you know, the anxieties of potential complications that could happen. You know, one of the reasons I got a CGM was because I was getting these really scary lows while I was sleeping and not um, waking, not feeling them right away. And I think there's all these different kind of internal struggles that people with type 1 diabetes go through and deal with. And most people who don't know anyone with type 1 diabetes have no idea. And yeah, there's, I I could, I don't know, there's just so much. I Yeah, that goes to the idea that type 1 is so much more than what people think or know. And I agree with you. There is, it doesn't necessarily, it's not like a character trait in us but it is something that colors everything, every other aspect of our lives. So everything we do kind of is affected in some way or another by our type one. And I think the best way to like demonstrate that or portray that would be in a, in a movie or in like a series because you can follow the character along in their development because something that I've always kind of thought of like type one changes with you. It's not the same throughout your entire life. I've had my type one for 20 years. And it's completely different from when I first had it to where I am now with it. 
And it's something that I think people can definitely learn something from, not just type ones, but just people, you know, outside of that world, because there is something to be said about living with that kind of struggle for however long you've had it and the truths that you learn from that. And Lucy, so being someone that's kind of like on the outside of that and watching someone that you care about, your sister, going through those things, what are parts of her type one story or just the type one story in general? You have friends with type one too. Like what parts of their stories are you kind of excited to show or portray or like, or you think are like most important to portray to the people like yourself that don't have it? So to me, it's kind of reflecting what Kelsey just said. What I've witnessed is just like the ever present existence of it for my sister. It's like, it's constantly on her mind. She has to wake up in the night, test her blood sugar. She might have to eat some Starbursts. Like who wants to eat Starbursts at three in the morning? And, and so I see that we used to share a room. And so I would like wake up and see her light on and just think like, God, I can't imagine. And how lucky am I too, to have an older sister who's got like the greatest attitude of anyone I know. And, you know, she could have basically anything happened to her and be like, okay, cool. That happened. Let's move right along. So like the mental health is something that I think is very important to portray, especially now. And I think people are way more receptive to conversations about mental health, but yeah, just, just seeing the mental and emotional toll that it can take on someone because you're living with this your entire life, every single day. And yeah, to see my sister go through that and and go through it so gracefully is amazing. And then I, I also would love for people to see like how it ripples out and affects the people in the person's life who has type one. So, you know, whether it's your relationship, your roommates, your family members, the people you work with, I've seen my sister struggle with like discrimination for it. When we were on the tennis team in high school, the coach wouldn't let her play because he was like, well, she's diabetic. And I guarantee you, he didn't know shit about it. Am I allowed to say shit? Well, I said it twice. <laughs> please, <laughs> so, please yeah. he, so just seeing that happen and then, you know, seeing her with her pump and we used to do this like super nerdy, like theater competition thing together. And we would go into a room where you have to do like a logic puzzle and she would get yelled at for having her pump because they thought it was a phone or a calculator. And the TSA is like, what is that? And, you know, it's just seeing the ignorance that she has to deal with day to day. And, you know, not, I'm not saying ignorance in a, in a judgmental way, because I think we're all ignorant about something, but just seeing that the toll that it can take on someone to constantly have to either explain themselves or just take care of themselves. And then to, again, like struggle with the anxiety of knowing that you can go low in the night and you won't know, or if you have a couple glasses of wine, sometimes the symptoms are similar of, having low blood sugar and, and feeling drunk. At least that's what I've heard. Sometimes Maggie says that having high blood sugar makes her feel drunk too. <laughs> but she actually, she stopped using the CGM for the reason that it it made her, it reminded her more often that she has a disease that she has to constantly monitor. And so by taking herself off of it, she was like, I'm able to like free up some mental space because I'm not constantly getting like little alerts and little buzzes and and she's, you know, she's got such a great attitude about it. And I think now it's second nature, but all of her roommates know how to use her um, glucagon and her boyfriend knows and everyone, you know, basically everyone she becomes close with, she's like, okay, let me teach you how to save my life if the moment arises. And just 
That, I mean, that's, that's heavy. That's really heavy. And I I can't pretend to know what it's like, but as, as a sister of someone, every time I wake up in the night to pee, I'm like, should I text her? Should I call her? Should I make sure she's like, you know, I used to wake her up when we lived in the same house in high school. And I'd be like, Hey, did you test your blood sugar? She gets so pissed. But you know, if, if I'm nervous about it, I can't imagine what people actually living with type one, how they feel about it. Yeah, I actually remember you kind of brought up a similar question last time you were on and kind of basically like, what is it like having kind of your mortality in question kind of constantly? And I, I remember Maggie and I kind of like, we kind of thought about it and like really didn't, I think we gave not a flippant answer, but like a very kind of like, we're, we don't really do, we don't really do that a whole lot. And I like our kind of explanation of that was like, we can't think about that all the time because we would go nuts. Like it would just drive us crazy. Yeah. And I think you were looking for probably a deeper answer than that. But I don't know, Kelsey, since you're also uh, like an actress and a writer, is there, does that kind of thought color your maybe writing of someone with type one in your movie or like the way you hope to demonstrate like the type one experience through film or like TV? How does that idea of our constant questioning of our, like not questioning, but like being aware of our mortality all the time? Because again, it's something that you kind of, the more you do, the more you have to think about it, the less kind of significant it becomes just because like, you know, if you thought about it intensely all the time, you wouldn't get anything done. Like you wouldn't leave your room. Like you'd be terrified of like walking out the door. So like, how do you address that or have you addressed that in your work? Well, no, I agree with, I agree with everything you're saying. Like it, my boyfriend actually made a similar comment. He's like, you know, it's interesting, you know, having type one diabetes because it does make you more aware of your mortality, but it is something, you know, I try not to think about or else, you know, you would become really paranoid and nervous. And, (laughs) but I do think it does affect you. And I feel like even me, I'm kind of, a little bit of a health freak because of that. Like, I don't want to get sick. I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. I take, you know, I'm, I'm very cautious and things that I do. And I, I, you know, when I'm with my work, I try to kind of show that in the character. And um, in my script, I I do a lot of VO because I want, and um, kind of high concepts where she talks to camera because I want people to get inside her head and even though, you know, I want to show it in a way that's relatable and, you know, have not that there's comedy in diabetes because it is a serious disease, but finding the lighter moments, like, you know, when your CGM goes off at the wrong time or, you know, finding kind of the humor in everyday life with diabetes. But, you know, as things come up in your daily life, showing kind of the thoughts that you have, you know, like going low in the middle of the night and then thinking about like, well, what would have happened if my alarm didn't go off? You know, it, 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 it's really interesting because it is something that we, like you said, we think about, but we try not to think about. And so having it present in a script, but not making that a focus, I guess. Yeah. Cause I've thought about that, especially kind of my, you know, desire to help film and tv kind of portray this a little bit better it's just kind of how ridiculous type one is just kind of on the face of it how like so the the one medication that we need to live can also kill us and the fact that you know if we don't eat enough skittles at the right time we could die it's just kind of something just so ridiculous about that and the fact that like so personally i've i'm really into long distance cycling and i've actually biked across the country three different times 
but there was one time when I was on a walk and I was going really low, really fast. And I was afraid I was going to die like before I could get home. And like, just kind of like that ridiculous nature of like all the, the huge, great, big things that I can do, but also like how quickly that can kind of just like turn on the, on like a flip of a dime kind of thing. And there's, and I feel like there's, there has to be a movie in that or it has to be a TV show in that. And again, it's like, these are lessons that everybody can learn from the impermanence of everything and how kind of fleeting all things are. It's like a truth that I think type ones are probably more aware of just because of like the things that we go through we have more opportunities to recognize it. Whereas people that don't have to go through what we do, they may learn that eventually, but it kind of takes them a little bit longer just because they don't have to think about it as much or in the ways that we do. So very, yeah, that's, again, I was hoping you that question would come up, Lucy, because yeah, we think about the fact that we can die almost all the time. There's like, <laughs> it kind of loses a lot of its steam, you know, after like the first couple of years, you've been thinking about it all the time. It's very possible, but we can't think about it as much as maybe someone else would. And I guess we've been talking about this already, but like in terms of media as it is now, have you noticed any kind of portrayals of type one that were good or bad? There's one that I'm thinking of, but like I want to get your take on it because you two have like you're in that industry. So you know how these things work better than I do. Are there any portrayals currently or ones that you've seen that are great or really bad? Well, I can think of a few bad ones right away. I should, I mean, should, is it bad to name movies that are, did it badly? Is that like, <laughs> I mean, do you know the? I don't think the directors <laughs> will be listening, so unfortunately. But okay, well, I I can definitely think of a few movies and TV shows that have done it badly. Name them. Um, yes, there was uh, a movie uh, called "That's My Boy," where Andy Samberg's character is uh, a diabetic, and there's like there's a scene where he pulls out insulin and Adam Sandler is like, what's that? And he's like, it's insulin. I'm a diabetic now because you fed me too much sugar as a kid. And it's stuff like that, you know, that I think affects people's perception of the disease. And, you know, something that, that another film that I've heard so much about when talking about type one diabetes and how people think of type one diabetes that was really well known was steel magnolias, which it's kind of a funny story. I actually haven't seen it because my endocrinologist and I were talking one day and, you know, because I'm a woman, I'm, you know, starting to get in my late 20s. She, you know, brought up, you know, the idea of if I would ever want to have kids, you know, be something we need to plan about a year ahead of time to get my blood sugar under control. And she's like, you know, diabetes isn't as a high risk pregnancy as people think or as it used to be it's not like julia roberts and steel magnolias and i was like why what happened to julia roberts and steel magnolias and she's like you haven't seen it and i said no and she's like good then don't <laughs> and so i haven't seen that but i i've seen clips and i know what happens and <laughs> you know that it's i you know i know it's based on somewhat of a true story but you know things are different now the technology is different now that's not something that's the norm. Um, and then recently, you know, I saw on Netflix, you know, The Babysitter's Club, which I do think is one of the better representations I've seen with type 1 diabetes. But I still, I wanted to love it. I really did. But I still, like, couldn't quite relate to it. I felt that, I mean, there were a couple facts they got wrong that frustrated me, like she had a bad low blood sugar 
and the, well, not even a bad low blood sugar. She had a normal low blood sugar. She had a juice box. And then the mom freaked out and was like, we need to take you to the doctor and get lab work done right away. And I was like, okay, that doesn't feel quite real, but I'll let it slide. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, one thing I, I wish they would have, if, if I were writing it, what I would have liked to see in that episode where, you know, the mom was actually, I think the one who had a bigger problem with the daughter, Stacy being open about type one diabetes, you know, the mom was the one pressuring her to hide it under her clothes and her pump, which I felt was, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I feel like in most situations, it's the opposite. You know, the person who is type one diabetic is more shy or nervous about showing it off. And it's normally the parents who are encouraging. So like if I, I would have, would have liked to see that scene, you know, the, the girl who is type one diabetic becoming comfortable with it and not her parent becoming comfortable with it. Like I would have found that more relatable and, and truthful from, from my experience. But those are the, you know, the examples that come to mind. Yeah. The babysitter's club. I like, I, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. But then I kind of, I watched it a couple different times. And like you said, like those things kind of stuck out. I think the the shock of it being kind of like fairly accurate colored me to think it was like better than it actually was especially in the storyline the way like you said like especially a girl i think she's 12 or 11 like at that age isn't going to want to like stick out for that reason specifically you know i'm a 30 year old man so like i don't really understand the inner workings of a 12 year old girl's mind but like it was a fairly good representation but there was like little nuances that they could have like tweaked and made it better and i feel like that's one of the bigger portrayals of type one and like when it first came out there was like a huge ripple in the type one community like oh my god like babysitter's club got it kind of right (laughs) and i didn't i'd never even i've heard of that andy samberg movie but i didn't realize he had type one um or he had diabetes he didn't say type one i never saw it so like was that the only instance that that was brought up just for that one joke yeah, I think it was. And that that's something that I really, you know, don't like where I get frustrated when I see a movie and they just make a, a diabetes, like they just mention diabetes for the sake of making a joke. And I think that just, you know, just makes it worse. Like it's just, you know, all that we have already have so many misconceptions and stereotypes. And it's like, why couldn't they be a little more sensitive? And if you are going to make a joke, do it in a way that's relatable to type one. Or, you know, if it's just, I don't know. I just don't, I don't like it when they do a joke at kind of the expense of us. Yeah. Especially, especially those two actors specifically like Adam Sandler and, you know, Adam Sandberg, right. They're very highly watched. Like a lot of people probably saw that movie and now they have this idea. It's like, Oh yeah, that's what diabetes is. And terrible parents give it to their kids. (laughs) But so that's annoying. So now Lucy, have you noticed anything over the years? Well, I was going to say, I think Panic Room, is it? Is that the one with Jodie Foster and her daughter has diabetes? And... It's a young Kirsten, Kirsten Stewart, Kirsten Stewart. Before, oh, it's Kirsten Stewart. Yeah, before, before wow. the vampires got her, yeah. You know, I wouldn't have recognized her <laughs> at that age. That was my first, that was the first portrayal, portrayal of it that I saw. And I think, I, I think I saw the movie before my sister was diagnosed. And it already freaked me out. And then after she was diagnosed, it freaked me out more. Because I think about that a lot too. Like, what if there's a natural disaster? What if there's a power outage that goes on for days? Or what if, you know, what if? And, you know, traveling is risky. And so that movie, I think, 
automatically set a sort of, uh, it, it definitely casts a dark tone over people living with type one and definitely made me panic. And then Steel Magnolias I saw a couple of years ago and, and that one kind of upset me because I think for the same reasons of like accuracy being an issue and, and wanting to, I, I want people to know that you can live with it and have like a fun and happy life. And it's not always like, you know, I think I assume that people who have medical setbacks or uh, diseases or autoimmune diseases don't want like the pity and the, Oh my God, are you okay? Like, Oh my God, are you okay? Constantly. And I think that if it's portrayed that way in the media, that it's like dramatic and horrible and scary all the time, you know, we don't want that either. While it's still like letting people know what type one is, it's not really teaching the viewer how to deal with someone who has type one or just like how to behave around them. And then the babysitters club I haven't seen, I didn't know that there was a character with type one in that. So I'll have to check that out. But yeah, I really haven't seen much portrayal of it at all. I just read my friend Julian, the director I was telling you about, he just wrote a feature or maybe it's a series, a script that what the story you just told Walt about going on a walk and going low. He wrote, like, I think the final, the final scene in the pilot is like, this is happening to this guy. He's on his way to meet someone. His phone dies. His blood sugar is low. He doesn't have enough money in his bank account to get a, like, you know, candy or whatever he needs. And it's like, what the fuck do you do? Because also, if you if you want to, I'm kind of veering off course of answering the question. But yeah, I, I think I would like to see it portrayed in a way that just shows a character living with it, but still living their lives and not like totally oppressed by it, but shows it in a way that's like, this is what it's like to live with it. Yes, there are struggles, but you can still like function and do everything you need to do. And also to teach the audience what's correct about it because I think people want to be more appropriate in the way that they address anyone with any type of disability and the whole spectrum of disabilities. Like people are, people are really wanting to be more accurate about it. So that's what I would like to see in media. Yeah. Like that's funny. I was actually in a situation almost exactly like that. I was, so I was in Oakland, a little inside Pittsburgh baseball. I didn't have my, wallet and like my, my go-to low snack at the time was always my debit card because like oh i'm always going to be like within a half a block of a 7-eleven or like a gas station so like i can just buy whatever i need i didn't have one i was going low and then i walked into uh peace love and little donuts so it's a donut chain here and they give you a free sample whenever you walk in and so i did that i got like two or three free samples as my low snack so that I could like make it to the bus and get home. So like I could, I could actually treat it. So like I was kind of shocked that I was able, I had like the wherewithal in my head being low and also being able to remember, like, oh yeah, that place gives you free snacks. I can go and mooch off of them and save myself enough time to like get home and like treat this correctly. Those situations, like you find like really weird ways like to stay alive in that case. But also like what you were mentioning about panic room, it kind of paints type one in that specific case as a vulnerability or like a setback. If you have type one and you're in a hostage situation, you're the one that's going to get everybody killed because like your CGM is going to like alert the bad guys to like what's going on. And again, it paints in a terrible light because we're seen as the the drawback or it's a setback. Like if you have this, you're going to be the one that gets everybody in trouble. And, and that's far from the case. Sometimes I feel like type ones are more resourceful as a 
result of our type one because we have to like think of all these things and different scenarios like my you know idea of getting a free sample like that's something that I thought of on the fly because I needed sugar I didn't have a way to get it but like you know there happened to be a, a donut place that gave free samples and I figured it out and especially like in apocalypse situations I feel like type one diabetics are used in that regard as like plot devices and like people that are like holding the group back and it has to be a, like a big decision of whether or not to like save them at the risk of the group so yeah that is really frustrating i actually haven't seen steel magnolias is it something that you would like to spoil for those who haven't seen it i'm kind of assuming what happened but like what actually happened so from what i remember she has like a moment in the beginning where she has a low and she's like sweating and i think maybe she starts to have a seizure i i haven't seen it in a while but they all like help her and they're like, okay, oh my God, okay, she's okay. And then I think, I think maybe she dies during childbirth. Is that what happens? Doesn't she die eventually? Kind of. She, yeah, she, she dies. She, um, no. she, uh, she gets complications through the pregnancy. And I think she dies of something related. I mean, it's all connected to type 1 diabetes. It's like through something through her kidneys, she dies. I'm I'm kind of afraid to watch it. <laughs> I think I also am like, I think I'm not remembering it because I blocked it out after I saw it. Because <laughs> I was like, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> but that's one thing too, which I'm curious to get your guys' opinion on because, you know, I, I understand it from both points of view from like the filmmakers and, you know, Anne is a, a, an audience person who's type 1 diabetic. But, you know, with low blood sugars, how they're portrayed in the media because the only way I've seen it portrayed on film and television is with seizures. <laughs> and, you know, I get it. It's dramatic. It's visually, you know, it seems very serious, but that's not a, a normal low blood sugar. And that's really the only way I've seen a low blood sugar portrayed. And that's something I would like to see differently or, and do differently. And so I'm curious, you know, does that, is that something that bothers you when you watch it, when you see whenever a type one diabetic has a low, they have a seizure because I know it can happen, but it's, it's more rare when it's severely serious. I think personally for me, this, again, this kind of goes into the idea of like type one being very different for everybody. So like the idea of it resulting in a seizure makes sense to me because a lot of my lows ended up in seizures and in college, especially I had a bout of like, uh, see or low induced seizures that required me to go to the like get taken away in the ambulance so but again like you're saying it's not every time that's not always how it happens one time I know I remember I was, I was trying to write a paper in the library and like the computer was fogging like going in and out of focus like it was like literally like you know a foot away from my face and I could not read what I was typing and then I just kind of put my head down and somebody found me and took a picture of me because they thought I fell asleep and they were like sending it to all of our friends and I was like oh look what Walt did he fell asleep in the library and then he tried to like wake me up and I wasn't waking up I was like oh shit something's happening um so they had to call the ambulance and I was like revived in the middle of the library by like paramedics and no seizure or anything like that. So it was like very subtle. There's also those subtle things, which I think can be more dangerous because like if, you, if someone thinks you're asleep, they're not probably not going to wake you up. I was in the library, so that was lucky. But yeah, so like there is, 
the lows are the probably the more dangerous side of type one, but they don't always present as a seizure, like you said. For me, it kind of hits both ways. Like, yeah, it's not always a seizure, but for me at least specifically, it has been a lot of my severe lows were seizures. Uh, but it, I do think it is probably important to show the other aspects of it because it does look different. It does look like somebody's drunk or it does look like, like somebody kind of fell asleep or it does look like somebody is passed out because they were drunk. It's very, like it presents in a lot of different ways and it's important for people to see a lot of different versions of that, I think, yeah. Well, that's, that, I just want to chime in. That's really interesting what, what you said because I've, uh, from my experience, I'm, I've never, I mean, fortunately, I've never had a seizure from a low blood sugar. And I actually don't know a lot of type 1 diabetics in my, besides on the internet, I guess I should say. So it's an, it's really cool to hear your experience because from my perspective, I thought, you know, it wasn't something I could relate to. But hearing your experience, I'm glad that it is something that is relatable. And also seizures, you don't know that you're having a seizure. So like I've been told that I had seizures. That's another thing about seizures. You don't know that you're having one when they're happening. So just a note of that. It's not like I knew I was having one. It's just that I was told that I had one on multiple occasions. But just to clarify that, yeah. Lucy, what do you think? This is actually all interesting stuff for me to learn because I always assumed that it was a seizure every time. And thankfully, I've never seen my sister go low to the point where she had to to go to the hospital, at least not that I know of, like, maybe she has and didn't want to tell us. But we do have another family friend who went low in the night, and she had a seizure. And then most other people I know who have gone low um, have described seizures as well. So I actually, until right now, thought that it was a seizure every single time. Um, I didn't realize that it, so it sounds like it also can just kind of be like a passing out. And that's it. And then and then you need to get sugar like ASAP. I mean, either way you need to get sugar ASAP. But uh, yeah, that's that's been what I thought it was the whole time. So I just learned something new. The thing is, it's not wrong. It's just not 100% every time kind of thing. Kelsey, how would you, what is like the worst low that you would, or how would you portray like the worst low you've ever had? Like, that's another thing. Like, how do you portray like these very like type one specific experiences? So like high blood sugars, low blood sugars. And I've never seen it done particularly well in film and media, but like, I feel like there's a lot of creative license you can take and like a lot of like really cool and interesting ways you can kind of go about describing these things to people. So have you ever, have you thought of anything that like makes you really excited about showing people or do you have any, like anything in the works for that? Yeah, yeah, I've actually, even like when I, you know, it's still, I mean, like I said, it's a little on hold right now for COVID, but I did. And what I've been researching on how to show it visually, because, you know, something that I haven't seen done on TV and film is showing a low from the person who's experiencing it. It's always the outsider perspective, somebody seeing it happen, but not kind of the internal of what it feels like to actually go through it. And that's something I would like to see and what I, I want to show in my film. And visually, I mean, it, it's kind of, you know, it's a little tricky to show because, you know, sometimes you don't feel the low right away, but lows do affect your vision. They affect, you know, even, you know, when I go really low, it's actually difficult to describe. I feel like unless you experience it, and that's why I'm, I'm even trying to figure out the words to how to describe it to show it visually because you get very shaky and a little disoriented and you start sweating 
And, you know, the, this one of the scariest lows I've ever had. I, I think I went down to 19 before. And, and I was still like, I conscious, like I, that's why I'm like, I, I was still able to function and get juice, but it was just a really scary feeling. Cause I felt at any moment I could pass out. Like I felt any, if I don't like, the, I remember waiting for the, and that's another scary feeling waiting for the juice. Cause once you take it, now you have to wait 15, 20 minutes and your heart's, you know, you're just, it's really scary. And but anyway, what I what I want to see in film and television is is from the the person's point of view who's going through it because I think there are cool things you could do visually from like POV perspective with the camera and the lights and you know going in and out of focus and you know even seeing the juice in your hand and shaking and you know there's there's ways of showing it that way. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting again because kind of like how we're kind of kind of talking around is the fact that lows are different for different people. I used to, there's one time I remember where my vision went double. Like I was, I don't know how low I was. I didn't have a continuous glucose monitor at the time, but like I was literally seeing two of everything and everything was out of focus. Like I don't get the shakes anymore, but that was like a very common one, at least at the beginning. One, one symptom I remember seeing and have felt uh, is uh, it was described as hopelessness. So like feeling dread for like your life and the, the the biggest like the best like demonstration that I have of that is like one time I was in college just like sitting in my room watching tv and again I didn't have a continuous glucose monitor at a time but I just started getting like really like depressed and morose and like just thinking I was like it was junior year so like I was starting to think about like what am I going to do for the rest of my life and like I was starting getting really like scared of like not being able to figure out what I wanted to do with my life is like you're studying psychology and philosophy what are you doing like you're not going to be able to do anything with that and then my thought was like I'm gonna have to do porn that's 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 what I had to do like I'm gonna have to do porn like that's what my life is now and it was just like so depressed and so distraught and so hopeless about this like really weird situation in my life I was like watching reality tv and I don't know where porn came in but like that was my life at that point it's like I had no prospects like I was not going to be able to like go on and then I had a, like a bowl of cereal and those feelings went away like almost like 10 15 15 to 20 minutes later so it's like very ridiculous again kind of like how type one can be very ridiculous but that would be really great to see and how the person writing it or the actor who's portraying it like chooses to go around it because there, there again there's so many different ways to do it lucy aren't there any kind of type one things that you would like to or that you're excited to portray in that respect like especially like that kind of like how kelsey said you've always seen it from the outside what are what would you like to portray about type one yeah i would also like to see like the pov of the person experiencing the low or the high or whatever symptom visually is is what to me creatively is the most like stimulating thing to to try to recreate it's also interesting that you talk about like the hopelessness and the feelings of dread because i think that's something that people that people could relate to more and that they could start to understand because you know everyone gets like hangry but like without the risk of you know a life-threatening <laughs> low so yeah i to me like the most i think the most helpful thing for people to see would be like literally camera facing out, you know, your, your, vi the vision blurs or, or doubles, you start, you know, you may be experiencing things more slowly. You, 
could even, I mean, it gets tricky because when you, when you want to portray it creatively, there is obviously always a, a dramatization. So which in a lot of ways I think can be very helpful to get the the viewers to understand really what this is like, but just hearing, you know, collecting stories from people who experiencing their lows and highs in different ways and trying to make a general like portrayal of what that's like for the viewer. So to, for me, whenever I see movies that are POV and like you are the camera, they affect me the most. So I think that would be the most effective. And then you know, also to have characters who are friends with the the person who has type one who, well, you know, when you have, you have like a character who acts as the audience. So like the new person who's like, what does that mean? What does that do? Who like is the informer, but then to also have the person who's just like the ally and the one who knows what to do. And the one who's like able to handle it and willing to learn. And so to portray like all the roles that people with type one need in their lives and like the support that they need in a way that is still I guess for for me, I'm a comedian. So it's always like, I want to find out how to make it like punchy and funny, but still super real. And like, obviously dark humor is brilliant and amazing. And I think there is a lot of dark humor that comes with what you were just talking about, about like, well, we can't think about dying all the time, but yeah, just, just tying all those things in, I think is the most helpful way to show like the perspective of someone with type one on TV or on screen in a way that really like hits the person who's watching it to be like, oh, this is actually this is what happens. Like you, you, the way you hear things is different. You're, you know, you feel like you're off balance and then they, they might know to the next time they see someone who looks like they're drunk and passing out to, to maybe second guess what's happening and ask them if they're okay. Yeah. And that's kind of where I come from, like wanting to see better portrayals of that, because it's something that can help either people that have type one or help people that are discovering that they have type one, figure it out a little bit faster, a little bit quicker than they might have without that. Type one is something that can happen to you at any point. We're starting to realize it. It, it used to be called juvenile diabetes. Now it's called type one diabetes because it's not just in kids anymore. I happened to have been diagnosed when I was 12. So like I was smack dab in the center of like your prototypical type one diagnosis story. And so for me, I even find it kind of hard to recognize people that haven't had it for as long as I have. So like I'll meet somebody that's like 30 or like my age and assume if they have type one, assume that they've had it for at least 10 years when really they've only had it for two. I even have assumptions about people with type one just because of my own experiences with it. So I think it would be so helpful and so amazing to see different portrayals of it and how other people experience the same condition that I have. Type ones aren't one kind of person it's like a lot of different people that have this same condition that color their lives in very different ways and i'm just a huge fan of trying to see it in a movie or something you guys got got your your work cut out for you i actually am now i'm remembering something that i would love to portray in in the show that i'm writing which was how i met my friend type one is the reason that i met my friend julian and that it could also, I'm just seeing it in, you know, some kind of goofy rom-com or any situation really where you bond with someone because you know, you either know someone who has type one or you have type one. And it's just this little anecdote where I was babysitting in this apartment complex and the screen door was always like shut, but but the main door was open. So it was just the screen between the, the apartment and the hallway. And this guy knocked on the door and I was like, you know a 22 year old babysitting a, a tiny little girl. So I was like, who's at the door? I'm, I'll have to fuck someone up. 
But I like got to the door and he was like, hi, I'm Julian. I live next door. I just need to get a granola bar. And I was like, okay. He was like, no, I have diabetes and my blood sugar is low. And Alex, the mom, like Alex lets me come over and eat her uh, She had like a candy drawer of like, you know, snacks and stuff for her kid. ate like sugary snacks. And that's how we got to talking. And I was like, cool. Even little moments like that, like you can just meet someone and bond that way is something that I think is like a beautiful slice of life and that I wouldn't have experienced if I wasn't, you know, I obviously I would have been nice to him, but unless my sister also had type one, I wouldn't have been like, Oh my God, no way. We had an amazing conversation and now we collaborate on creative stuff together, like because of type one. So to show that too, I think is important because it's like, I've, I've made so many friends because of it and the community that you can build. And then you get surprised by the people who you meet. And just to expand on what you're saying, it reminded me, that's something I think is important to show in, uh, in film and, and TV is, you know, there are positive, there are some positives with living with type one. I mean, it doesn't always need to be a drama that you can find, you know, the humor in everyday life, you know, finding a connection with someone. It would be nice to see it with, you know, kind of a positive spin on it. Yeah, there is, I think, in the backdrop of just type 1 in general, the conversation around just illness in general and chronic illness in the States and, you know, Western culture, it's very adversarial. Or sickness is the enemy and we have to kill it. A lot of the language around type 1 is like, oh, you're a, you're a type 1 warrior, like you're fighting diabetes every day. And, you know, I think some people get a lot out of that, like it inspires them to like, you know, keep going. But like, the problem with it is that when you're fighting a war, in this case, somebody loses. There's always a loser in war. But when you have type one for the rest of your life, like, you know, how how does that pan out? So like, like, if you die, did you lose? Are you a loser? Did you not work hard enough? Paints it in a very kind of not negative, but like just a hard light to live up to more positive portrayals of it more not the benefits of type one, but rather like yeah. the positives of having to live with something like that, like what you learn from it, the people that you interact with. There's so many things that I wouldn't have been able to do if I didn't have my type one. One of the bike rides that I did was turned into a documentary. And that's because it was a team of type ones. We biked across the country. And if I didn't have type one, I wouldn't wouldn't have been on the team. Like that was like rule number one, you had to have type one. You can definitely live a really great, happy life, but it's more of like how you see it and how you choose to live with it as opposed to like trying to fight it every day. Again, something that would be really cool to see in a movie. And it's not even just type one. It's just like mental illness and chronic illness. And like, I think we could learn a lot from people that live these kinds of lives if we could just find a way to portray them in a way that everybody would understand or like would kind of hit for a lot of people. I agree with that. I think I was thinking about, I, I think one of the first things that both of you spoke about at the beginning, oh, when we were talking about mortality was how it must turn you into not necessarily more of a spiritual being, but but someone who has a greater perspective on life almost immediately. So I would love to know from from y'all's perspective, like when you were diagnosed or maybe a couple of years in, or did you ever have a point where you realized like, wow, I, I grew up really quickly in this way and I have this perspective and and do you feel grateful for it or do you feel burdened by it? And what's what's that type of like, it's almost like this forced growth that is like thrust upon kids and adults. But when you're diagnosed with something like this, how does it change your perspective and make you into someone who, like, how do you feel like it's made you see the world in a new way, whether it's like spiritual or just in general, how has it changed you or, or did it force you to like grow real quick? 
I can definitely relate and connect with everything you just said. Even like my my friends and family, they always say I'm like a 65-year-old person trapped in the body of a 20-something. <laughs> and I, I do feel like type 1 did make me grow up and mature in a way that I I may have not have if I didn't have it. Like I, I think it's affected my personality and my decisions I make. Like I'm very cautious of what I do because I, I don't want, I, you know, like you said, because of the fact that, you know, I try not to think about it, but there is that mortality idea. So like, you know, even when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed at 17 and then I went to college. I was nervous to drink. Like, you know, people in college, you're drinking, going to parties, getting drunk. I was never the one. To, I was always the designated driver. I was like, you know, even that was something, a way it affected me. Like I, I was, because I had heard stories from my doctor, like you said, like you, especially in college, you go to parties, if you're drinking, you know, your blood sugar can go low, you could pass out and people might just think you're drunk and asleep. And so that was like a fear I always had that I was very conscious of. You know, even now I always like play everything very safe, you know, spiritually, you know, I think it's made me realize that there is a lot of things that are out of my control. You know, we talked about it a little bit, like there are so many factors living with this disease and you don't always know why your blood sugar is high or low and that can affect you mentally. And so kind of reacting to that each day at a time and knowing that today might be a bad day. I might, you know, get a few lows and it might make me not feel good, but tomorrow's a new day and I might have I might just have this steady line on my CGM and not even really think about diabetes, just have it be in the background. So I feel like living with type one diabetes has, like you said, made me mature quickly and kind of look at each day in a different way than I think I would have if I didn't have this disease. And, and that also comes with each obstacle that, you know, it, it, it kind of trying to think of the word, it kind of, expands to other situations too in the way I look at them. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. So I think because we have type 1, you have to get used to the idea of not being in control all the time. Nobody is in control of their lives. Like, you know, we're kind of just hanging on and hoping great things happen to us. But when you have type 1, you're constantly reminded of that. Like, oh, your sugar's going up, your sugar's going down. Even if you do all the right things, you know, you know, in quotes, your sugars aren't guaranteed to do what you want them to do. And so I think the longer you have it, the more you realize that, oh, okay, so I don't have control of this, but I can do things to like improve my chances of having a better day or a, a good day. And sometimes those bad days do come, no matter what you do. And I think it gives you, we have more chances to kind of bounce back and get back up. And so like the more you do that, I think the sooner you realize that life is kind of out of your control anyways, and we deal with it as it comes and try to be as adaptive as possible. And then letting those like, not letting those low moments get you down as, as much as they would if like you're constantly banking on like just the good times, I guess you could say. I feel like, so I was 12 when I was diagnosed. So my parents took on the brunt of my diagnosis or my management at the time. So like for at least five years and then I went to college. And then that's kind of when I started realizing it's like, oh no, like I have to take care of this by myself. Like I have to make sure I get my insulin. And there were times where, when I didn't and I had to like argue with the pharmacist that, but your insurance doesn't cover you for like, you have to wait a week to get it. It's like, no, I need it now because I don't have any. And so like those kinds of situations when everybody else at 18, 19 was back at school, not having to worry about any of that kind of stuff. And I mean, you do learn life truths probably a little bit sooner than you would have in terms of like spirituality. 
again, it's kind of like the unknown thing. So like being okay with just not knowing is something that I've gotten used to. It's hard to say if it is my type one because that's kind of all I know. But I feel like if I didn't have type one, I wouldn't have those kinds of those like very real world um, experiences that help me realize that not knowing everything or not being in complete control is okay. Yeah. And I think, I think that that philosophy or the outlook that you gain from having type one is another thing that I think would naturally just be portrayed in, in a TV show or a movie about it. But that I think is also really pervasive in everyone I know who has type one, like they're all just like go-getters and people who are like, let's get shit done. Let's live our lives. Let's do it all. Like you bike across the country three times. Kelsey's made a web series and wrote a feature. And, and my sister is just like the least procrastination person I've ever met and runs a business and is a guidance counselor and has a million degrees and travels all the time. And I, it could just be a coincidence, but I also think that from my experience, the people I've met who have type one or, or, you know, any other type of medical, I don't want to call it a setback, but medical condition have seemed to like embrace life more quickly and to go for it more. And I think that's a beautiful thing that I've witnessed as someone who's just been like a friend of people with type one. And I think we also, or at least I've recognized that I can actually make things happen for myself. So like I have not a whole lot of control of my type one, but like I can do certain things to make it better. And so like that can translate in life. So like if you do like, you know, active, being an active participant as opposed to like, you know, passive one, just having that understanding can really help how you saying like people like doing what they want to do as opposed to like waiting for it to happen, which can, you know, happens to everybody at some point. But like, I think with a condition that you have to manage in order to be able to do all the things that you want to do, it reminds you of how much more, how much more like influence you have on your life than you might think otherwise. Those are all my questions. Do you guys have any questions for each other? Want to talk shop? I mean, not specifically. I just think it's so amazing. It's so cool to hear another person trying to get type one, you know, out there in the world through media. And I, yeah, I was really touched by everything you said. I don't know if I have a specific question, but it was really, you know, nice chatting and, and hearing your perspective with type one and, and what you can do to kind of put it out in the world. Yeah, I feel the same. I mean, I think the more of us who can connect and also work on like collaborate on projects together, I think we'll we'll just make it so much more powerful because then we collect stories and we have fun doing it and we show people who were just diagnosed that like they can do all this stuff too and I I'm also just feeling really grateful to like to know my sister who knows Walt, who knows Kelsey and to make, yeah, to make a community out of it and to make something good out of it is like my favorite thing about being alive is to like find things that, you know, people would initially think are bad and turn them into something like really powerful and something that you can embrace as like part of your purpose or part of what inspires you. And yeah, I'm I'm just, I'm thankful to be able to talk to both of you guys because it's been something that's really important to me. And, and also I always thought it was very rare. And now to know three people in the industry who are like creating media about type one is just like so inspiring and so wonderful and makes me so happy. Well, thank you both. Any final thoughts? Anything you want to leave the people with before we go? I would love to know where to watch Kelsey's (laughs) web series and how to see her work. Yeah. Where can we find you, Kelsey? 
the web series is uh, it's called Mondays and it's on youtube.com slash watch Mondays. It's also on my Instagram if, um, if that's easier too. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for, for you guys to see it and get your thoughts. I, so I have actually been watching it. And one question I had about it was you mentioned how it was nice to like not be type one for three minutes at a time, but during the filming of that, was that not the case? Did like your type one kind of act up in a way that maybe again, you didn't, it didn't interfere with the shoot because obviously the, the episode was made, but like, were there any instances where it was like undeniable that you had type one, even though you were pretending like you didn't? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, at the time, you know, like I mentioned before, I wasn't, I was a little more shy about talking about type one, which is why I didn't include it so much. I think there's a couple references to it, but it isn't like a plot line. But yeah, on set, there's one episode in particular that comes to mind. If you see it, it's, we did a parody, a Halloween episode. It's basically, it's, it's like the ring. I get a call from that scary voice, but instead of saying, I'm going to die in seven days, it says I'll be pregnant in seven days. And it really freaks me out. And we kind of parodied all these different horror movies. But uh, on set, for some reason, I think that we, we had shot the day before. And I notice, you know, when I'm active, you normally the next day, I, I experience more lows. And there's one scene, which you, it's a very memorable part. It's the last shot of the episode where I, and you'll see it. I do a very big scream and I had such a bad time with lows during that. We had to take so many breaks. I kept, I think I went through four juice boxes and on set. And luckily the other thing was I had, I just gone to CGM, but I wasn't on the pump yet. And um, my mom was actually on set and she was holding my iPhone, checking my blood sugar <laughs> and making sure because we couldn't have the alarms going off while we're shooting. So she was kind of checking it and letting me know when I would go low. And yeah, I just kept going low at one after the other. I would have a juice box and then it would, you know, on set, you, then I, you know, I have to wait 20 minutes before I could do before we go up and before we could do the next take. And it was just kind of, I remember it. I don't know if it was as memorable to the crew, but for me it was because I felt bad because everybody was waiting on me for my blood sugar to go up. And it was just, it was just a stubborn low. And I just kept having to feel like it was just drinking so much juice. And no matter what I did, it just kept dropping again. You wouldn't know watching the episode, which is good. <laughs> but yeah, that was one moment that was very memorable with, with diabetes on set. Wow. It's almost like a, a method acting type of situation. Like the, I keep thinking of uh, Shelley Duvall in, uh, in The Shining. You know, the scene where she's like backing up and on the stairs with the axe. I've heard like so many stories about how Kubrick was like, ran her into the ground. And so by the time she shot that scene, she was like literally exhausted and it really worked for her. So maybe, maybe it came through. <laughs> maybe you know, it might have. Because I had to, I had, I was actually nervous about that scene because I had to do this really, this serious scream, like I was about to die. And I remember prepping for it, think like being nervous about it, like to make it look real. And maybe it was the diabetes because I was so frustrated from the lows and just start letting it out and screaming. Letting your, your type one rage shine through. Type one rage. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and Lucy, where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at Lucy Blee, B-L-E-E. -E. Um, I also have a website, LucyBleehar.com. And I think I, I also have a YouTube that's Lucy Blehar. I don't actually know, but 
you can probably find some of my sketches on YouTube if you look up my name. And then hopefully you will see the the TV show that I wrote, you know, either in within the, the next year or the next year. I'll let you all know about that. But I guess, yeah, Instagram mainly. Yeah, fingers crossed. Really do want to see. And toes are crossed. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait. Thank you both for this very enlightening and entertaining discussion about type one. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. And it was so nice to meet you, Kelsey. I would love to hang out in LA when I get back. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Walt, for having us. And and yes, definitely, I want to take you up on that once it's safe with COVID and everything. It'd be, right, it'd be right, great right. to oh, get right. together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. All right, bye. 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 And that's the episode. So while I was editing this conversation, I started searching for more good examples of bad diabetes portrayals in TV and film, and I came across an article that, funnily enough, was about Steel Magnolias and its portrayal of diabetes, and how it is so, and I mean so much worse, than the three of us thought. The article was written by Audrey Farley in The Atlantic, and it was part of the 30th anniversary of the release of Steel Magnolias, which apparently was a really big deal back when it came out. It had a huge star ensemble cast made up of actors who we still know today, like Julia Roberts, Sally Field, and Dolly Parton, and it was pretty much loved by critics and audiences everywhere. But Farley decided to go deeper into the true life story that Steel Magnolias was based on, and the very disturbing history behind it. In Farley's words, the screenwriter Robert Harling's sister died of diabetic complications after giving birth in the 1980s, shortly before Harling composed the original play and the film script. If the death of Julie Roberts' character cements the movie's status as a feel-good weepy, it also places the narrative within an uncomfortable American cinematic tradition, one in which individuals who reproduce against medical advice suffer terrible consequences. Of course, for many viewers, there's nothing inherently insidious about the film, which doesn't have the tone of a morality play. But those revisiting Steel Magnolias this year might consider how it fits into a long history of movies with patronizing, outdated, and sometimes eugenicist implications about who should and shouldn't have children. To read the rest, you can find the link in the bio on the Ask Me About My Type 1 Instagram page, and I'm telling you, you're going to want to read it, even if you haven't seen the movie. For me, it really put into perspective the very real dangers that can come from the continued jokification and misrepresentation of chronic illnesses like diabetes, and the very dark history behind it. And it's because of movies like Steel Magnolias and Panic Room and That's My Boy that I think we need to keep pushing the ways we advocate for ourselves, exploring all the different mediums and platforms and audiences and ways we can get into all the type none faces of the world so that they know we exist and that Steel Magnolias is actually low-key really, really evil. Again, just read the article. You'll know when you know. Thank you all again so much for tuning in. If you'd like to support the show, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you listen to this from. Follow the Ask Me About My Type 1 Instagram page where you can get updates on episodes and check out the official Ask Me About My Type 1 merch store. You can also share on social media when you listen to the podcast or send your favorite episodes to friends, family, or just about anyone you think needs to learn a little bit more about what living with type 1 is actually like. All these things really do help the podcast get noticed and heard so that more type 1s and nuns like you can join in on the conversation. Happy Diabetes Awareness Month, everyone. Till next week. Bye. <laughs>